We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid. And I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Leslie McClurg. I'm in today for Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, if you're not making mistakes, you're not trying. If you're not failing, you're failing to learn. These adages might feel cliche, but mistakes, though often humiliating, really are necessary for growth. Your upbringing, education, and even your neurology can affect how you handle them. We'll talk about what happens in our brains when we make mistakes, and we'll hear how you react to blunders. Do you tend to shut down? deflect blame? Is it easy for you to regroup and figure out what went wrong? What has a mistake taught you? That's next after this news. This is Forum. I'm Leslie McClurg. I'm in today for Mina Kim. I will never forget the worst mistake I ever made in my career. I was new as a producer on a show just like this, and I had booked a state senator for an interview for the host. And I booked the wrong guy, the wrong senator. And the host didn't realize until well into the interview. Luckily, it wasn't live radio, and the host kind of brilliantly pivoted, and the senator actually never knew. But that night, oh my God, I was engulfed in shame. I almost went in the next day and just quit my job. Luckily, I didn't, or I probably wouldn't be sitting here today. Today's show is all about mistakes. We will look at the neuroscience behind them and get tips about how to grow from failure. And we'll hear from you. How do you tend to react to mistakes? Do you get engulfed by shame? What has failure taught you? I'm joined by Mary Helen Imardino Yang. She's the FAMI and Donna Atala Chair in Humanistic Psychology, and she's a professor of education psychology and neuroscience at USC. Mary Helen, do you have a horrific story like that? Is there a mistake that you made as an adult? Oh my gosh, <laughs> are there ever? Yeah. 
Yeah, there's mistakes. Uh, they're probably too embarrassing to recount. You're very brave. <laughs> <laughs> it's like 20 years ago, though I did not tell that story for a long time. <laughs> yeah, mine might be too fresh, but I, I think I can tell one about a particular time when I was a new assistant professor, uh, just newly hired, and uh, I got invited to this very prestigious meeting, uh, one of the major conferences in psychology, um, to give an invited hour-long address, which is just huge for somebody at that level, right? And I got there, and I realized after the fact that what it, I had accidentally sent my title and abstract for my lecture to uh, the wrong uh, outlet, basically. And, and so when I got there, the um, very famous professor who spoke before me for his hour then told the whole room, oh, I think there's nothing else happening now. Uh, we should all clear out so that the staff can clean off the stage. And I'm standing there while my entire audience is evaporating. I'm like, no, no, I, I get to speak now. Hello? Yeah, and that's, I have uh, something interesting. Yeah, that was, that was my mistake. I I do have to say that the eight people who stayed behind to hear me were very, very interested in what I had to say. So, <laughs> Well, as a researcher, how do you define a mistake? What qualifies as a mistake? I'm sure there's kind of a technical definition. Well, you know, I don't know if there is a technical definition. I mean, I think a mistake is, is uh, you know, a complex thing. It really depends on how you define it. It depends on the implications of your actions. Sometimes there are very fuzzy, you know, uh, fuzzy lines between something that might have been a mistake or something that might have just been one of the ways you could do it. So I think that's part of what makes mistakes interesting and learning opportunities is they are opportunities for reflection on you know, the various possible ways one could act, react in particular situations, the kinds of decisions we could make are very rarely sort of correct versus incorrect. Usually they're much more nuanced. And so mistakes are things most of the time where we kind of come gradually to recognize that we might have done something differently before and had a different, uh, you know, sort of outcome now, but maybe also uh, something that we thought was a mistake at the time could actually turn out to have some benefits or some uh, fortuitous down the road consequences, you know, so I think right. it's a complex kind of a topic. What do we know about what's happening in the brain when we make a mistake? Yeah, so so in the brain, um, you know, there's no mistake lump, you know, uh, there's no gyrus that's the like, <laughs> wee, 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 you made a mistake. Um, but there is a system that is involved in recognizing things that are surprising, uh, including things that uh, uh, turn out to be mistakes. And that system is, as you might expect, uh, a really uh, central highly interconnected hub um, right in the middle of the front of your head, basically, because it's involved in all kinds of attention, all kinds of physiological arousal reactions. Like if you are walking along and you suddenly see a snake when you're hiking and you go, ah, you know, that recognition that that little, you know, wiggly thing on the ground is actually a snake versus a vine, right, is mm -hmm. also using this system in the brain. Um, it's a system in the brain that is uh, involved in uh, feeling pain, like embodied pain, 
uh, like real physical pain, like if you had a stomach ache, things like that. But it's also involved in all kinds of other physiological kinds of satiety, satiation, like it's involved in uh, the calculations uh, that you make in your brain subconsciously when, for example, uh, you're thirsty and you go get a glass of water and you start gulping down your water and, and, and about halfway down the glass you realize, okay, I'm done. I'm not thirsty anymore. That's enough, right? And if you think, what told you to feel to feel like you've drunk enough water um, because the water that you've drunk actually hasn't changed the chemistry of your blood yet and made your blood, you know, have more water in it. So so why is it that you feel like you've had enough already? Um, this is that same system in the brain that's sort of calculating, okay, time to behave like this versus like that uh, in order to make things go right in a little while, right? It's this kind of long-term calculation uh, kind of, you know, this is going to be good for you. This isn't going to be good for you. Watch out. Uh, oh, no, go this way, right? System, and it's also the system in the brain that's involved in things like uh, obsessive compulsive disorder, right? Where that feeling that, oh my God, I, I, I must have left something on at home. I, I must have forgotten to lock the door. No, I must have, right? There's something wrong. I just feel there's something wrong, right? Even though I know there isn't, right? That kind of little like jolt, like, well, uh, right? Is also this same system, right? So this system, you don't need to know the name, but the system, you know, the, the region in the brain is called the anterior middle cingulate cortex. And it's involved in a lot of things, which I think also gives us a clear sense of why mistakes are so can be so generative as learning opportunities and also so devastating uh, when when they happen and can lead to so many complex emotions, like in the case of your mistake and my mistake, um, but also amazing opportunities to learn and to uh, do things differently the next time. So a lot, a lot, a lot going going on in there. And obviously, we all respond very differently to mistakes. I was fascinated by reading the research about what happens if you've gone through or you've lived through a lot of trauma. So if you have a lot, yeah. if you carry a lot of PS, PTSD, yes. or you've grown up in a really, you know, rough place, childhood, etc. How do those folks tend to uh, respond to mistakes? Yes, that's right. So again, this kind of teaches you something about the kind of beings we are, the way our brains actually work. You know, our emotional experiences in relationships are deeply tied to the way in which we kind of feel inside our own selves uh, and, and in turn how we move forward and sort of present ourselves in the world. Uh, later developmentally as we as we move through our lives so so the brain is highly highly adaptive this is what makes us so extraordinary um, as as creatures we're able to sort of situate ourselves in a whole range of kinds of social situations and adapt and become uh, you know and 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 uh, you know uh, build these emergent potentials that other creatures just don't have the ability to invent, right? Um, but the downside of that is that we adapt ourselves to the world in which we find ourselves, especially as children, but throughout the lifespan. And when we live in a place that is unpredictable in a set of relationships that are uh, sort of um, unpredictable or dangerous feeling where one really needs to kind of watch out and be vigilant, either emotionally vigilant uh, or, heaven forbid, physically vigilant. Um, what that does is in order for the person to really survive and thrive in that sort of maladaptive 
non-optimal setting, they ramp up the development of these regions so that they become highly uh, sensitive, highly active. They're ready to uh, to kind of um, you know get right into the moment and and watch out and run away at any time or fight right at any time. And so what you're really doing is tuning up your brain to be anxious. And also, when that anxiety dissipates, when you're not in a place that's dangerous, um, the brain sort of f falls back into a mode that's overly uh, sort of um, ruminative and can often lead to depression. So both anxiety and depression can be sort of long-term developmental uh, follow-ons of uh, feeling unsafe or uh, worried as a child. Well, a listener writes, this is one of my favorite subjects since I have so much experience, an area where I find the failure to celebrate failure. Egregarious is art education. Of all the mm. areas of my life where mistakes are relatively harmless, it's art. Well, unless your three-ton sculpture fails. Too often, art education does not emphasize the many years artists spend wandering in the wilderness before they find their voice, their vision, their sound, and selves. A student can get the impression that you're either a natural genius or you better find another thing. Uh, quickly before the break, Mary Helen, why do we need mistakes to succeed? Why are they so important? Mistakes are the way we learn you have to sort of adapt yourself to the world around you. And then, like the caller said, you need to invent things, whether they be artistic expressions or other kinds of more ordinary things, um, like just relationships with other people or uh, decisions that you make in the way you conduct yourself from moment to moment in a social situation. You're, we are constantly adapting ourselves actively to the world around us and to the world that doesn't exist yet that we could create, which is very much the world that artists and, and, and others who are visionaries live in. And so it's really fundamental that we try on ideas, we test out different kinds of paths forward, we, we make decisions and follow them through and then reflect back on what happened. Those are the fundamental ways in which we adapt ourselves and become sort of productive, innovative, creative, and also well adapted to the world so that we can be happy and can enjoy moving forward in ways that don't sort of stymie us with uh, you know paralysis about what might happen next. We'll get some tips on, on how to be more resilient when we, when we fail. We're talking about mistakes, what happens in our brains when we fail, why shame often follows, and why falling down is so essential for learning. We're with Mary Helen Imordino-Yang. She's professor of education, psychology, and neuroscience at USC. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Leslie McClurg. I'm in today for Mina Kim, and we're talking about mistakes. What happens in our brains when we fail? Why shame often follows? And why falling down is so essential for learning? We're with Mary Helen Imardino Yang. She's human development psychologist and a neuroscientist at USC. And we really want to hear from you. How do you react to mistakes? Has a failure led you to success? How? Do you worry about how other people will judge you for your mistake? Tell us about it. Email your comments and questions to forum at kqed.org or find us on Twitter or Facebook, Instagram, or Discord. We're at KQED Forum. Or give us a call right now at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. We really want to hear your stories. Beth writes, my parents taught me that in life I will make mistakes and I will probably be embarrassed. But if I slow down and do some critical thinking, evaluate the mistake, and how I can avoid making it again, that is called growth. Taking calculated risks and trying new things is healthy, as is evaluating where one can do better. This is something we taught our son and even a few of his friends. I feel bad for my kids who are raised thinking they are perfect because they are in for a rude awakening. Uh, Mary Helen, it sounds like you struggled a little bit uh, with being a perfectionist as a kid, and your mom had <laughs> a very, I think, cl- uh, clever way to, to respond to you. So tell us that story about, about how you learned that mistakes were okay. Yeah. So as a little kid, I tried so hard to be perfect like so many kids. I just wanted to be good and do the right thing. And I found it really difficult to admit when I had made a mistake. And so my mom recognized that. And in her wise way, she decided to make a game out of it. And she told me that we would play a new game where every day I was to do something you know, not majorly wrong or evil, but something wrong, bad, make a mistake on purpose and just see how it went. And then come back that night before bed and she and I would laugh about it. And? And I Did did you do it? (laughs) Yeah, I did it, uh, you know, and I remember the last time that we played that game, she told me it was my turn to do the dishes that night. And I said, nope. I'm going outside to play. (laughs) Bye. And then uh, we didn't play that game anymore after that. (laughs) But I think I'd learned my lesson that you don't have to do everything perfectly or right, that mistakes and, uh, and, and errors can actually be okay. You'll overcome them, and then you may actually learn from them, or other good things may actually happen from them. So you just need to kind of loosen up and not be so hard on yourself and such a perfectionist. Yeah. I mean, for perfectionists out there, do you think it's a good activity to actually, you know, kind of give yourself the assignment to to make a mistake a day or to, you know, prioritize making mistakes or, or, you know, how how do you kind of reach for that if you're so terrified of it? Yeah, I think that's a great idea. You know, sometimes playing little games and making little challenges for yourself can be a great way to overcome these kinds of 
uh, you know, these kinds of uh, paralysis that we have around making mistakes, finding another friend that you can share the experience with and laugh about it, like my mom and I did, is also a great idea. Um, talking with others about the mistakes they've made and then sharing yours is another great way because, you know, once you tell somebody else, often the mistakes seem much less, you know, powerful than you had originally thought. And other people realize that they've had the same kind of situation or something similar. And all of a sudden, you know, it becomes much less important and easier to move past. So I think just challenging yourself to take some calculated safe risks, you know, and to really think about what could actually happen if this goes wrong. And then think, if that were to happen, how bad would it be really, right? Would I die? Okay, that's not a risk to take. But, you know, would I be embarrassed and then I'd have to come back next week and fix it? Uh, you know, maybe move ahead with that and give it a give it a whirl. I, I know also in my own laboratory context as a scientist with my students, oftentimes, you know, uh, students and myself were trying to do the perfect experiment or write the perfect paper. And then you're completely par paralyzed and it's impossible to start. And sometimes you just need to dive in and just give it a whirl and just try something and then be willing to step back and kind of exteriorize that attempt and look at it as if it belonged to somebody else and sort of analyze it and reflect on it and 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 judge it in a really non-judgmental way if you know what i mean and and doing that can be a really great habit I find it fascinating and I'm curious about how people are wired because I have a four-year-old little girl and, you know, she makes mistakes. And if you, you know, think about spilling milk as a mistake all the time and her, her um, first reaction is, it's okay, mommy. And I, I don't know if she's telling me that, <laughs> if she's saying that to me, you know, or she's worried about me, like, you know, go, going at her and sort of yeah. scolding her. But I, but I take that as interesting feedback about like, oh, her little brain is really in a ripe moment to process. Is this, is it okay to make a mistake? Absolutely. So, mm -hmm. Yeah. Little I mean, children uh, really are, are we're, we come to the world curious. We come wanting to explore and test things and try things. And this is why we need safe, loving environments in which to do those things and to make those mistakes because mistakes are not uh, are not necessarily negative for little children. They purposefully push boundaries just to kind of find out how the world works. And I think that's something we should maybe try to hold on to more as adults. Well, Gina kind of has a follow up question on that. She's on Discord and she says, I have a four year old and he tends to totally melt down when he makes a mistake. Any mm -hmm. tips for parents to help their children develop comfort with making mistakes and learning from them? I'd also like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, tips for parents, tips for four year olds. I mean, I think first, uh, a really powerful thing in parenting is to model your own processes that look similar to the child's and share them with them and stop and talk about it with them. So when you make a mistake, even a, a small little something that happens and, and then you say with, to your child, oh, I made a mistake. Oh, gosh, I really feel bad about it, but we could fix it. How could I fix it? Okay, now it's better, right? You're teaching them 
how to kind of self-talk when they get into an issue where they have made a mistake and they need to solve it or rectify it. So that's one very powerful way, I think, is to actually model the behavior yourself. Another is to stop and do this kind of counterfactual exercise, you know, in an age-appropriate way with your child where uh, you could actually stop and think in a quiet moment together when there aren't other distractions. Well, let's just say that this had gone a different way. What would happen now? Or let's say you do really mess up uh, that quiz you have tomorrow in your class or something. What, what would that really do? What would really happen next? And when you start to sit down and figure out, well, what would happen next is actually not that devastating. I could recover from this. It helps kids build resilience. Um, and so I think really facing these mistakes head on, laughing is a really mm. powerful way to overcome the stress, right? It's also yeah. telling that this same anterior middle cingulate cortex that we were talking about earlier is also very much involved in invoking laughter. Um, you know, and, and it's also telling that when, for example, uh, you know, we're watching humor like stand-up comedy or something like that, the, the way that things are funny is often by surprising us with a twist, right? You expected something to come out of the statement and then all of a sudden it goes in a different direction or you realize there's another interpretation of what was happening. And that is really, so the same kinds of little permutations and, and funny twists that surprise you, that make you laugh, you could think of your errors that way if you just mm. develop and cultivate a kind of positive attitude toward them. They're funny. I like that they're funny. I'm next time I'm gonna be like, this is funny. This is this is funny that I'm feeling yeah, so funny, miserable. So funny. This yeah. is so hilarious. <laughs> yeah. uh, well let's let's take a caller. Uh, Sarah in Oakland, you're on the air. Hi, um, thank you so much for this conversation. This is as a recovering perfectionist, this is just like fabulous. Um, but yeah, I had a comment about um, you know, in in marginalized communities, um oppressed historically and currently oppressed communities, we often get the message that the way to keep yourself safe um, from police, the way to keep yourself safe from teachers or from maybe bosses um, is to be above reproach. And that kind of perfectionism, I think, isn't so easily broken when you are a person whose relatively low amount of privilege kind of doesn't allow you to to have the personal practice of kind of laughing off mistakes or or forgiving yourself because it really does feel like it's a more of an existential issue of you know being aware of how people what the, how the chips are stacked against you already and so you never want to give someone an excuse to actually act on their worst impulses. Yeah, that's right. It, it actually is dangerous. It's not a joke in that case. I I, I really hear you. Mm -hmm. I, I want to point out um, some interesting research that was done uh, a few years back that's behavioral research, and it was with, that I think is sort of relevant to what the caller is asking. Um, uh, it was with uh, young um, teenage uh, uh, black boys, and 
they looked at these boys' um, executive control, so their ability to kind of inhibit inappropriate responses, to manage themselves, to to uh, put on a very stoic face when needed in certain kinds of situations. You know, um, basically their ability to make themselves do things that they don't want to do. You know, executive control is a very, very useful kind of a tool. And what they found is that um, the higher uh, teenage, these are, I think, 14, 15-year-old boys, the higher their executive control, then they then followed those young boys into uh, young adulthood. And by the time they were young men, higher executive control as a teenager was associated with, um, you know, better outcomes in all manner of ways, better academic achievement, better life satisfaction, better socioeconomic status, better relationships, uh, all kinds of things that are great. But what they also found was that for black boys, but not for white boys, better executive control in uh, their teenage years was associated in young adulthood with more biological aging in their cells, with what's called telomere shortening. So a kind of fraying of of uh, these biological pieces of information that are renewing your cells over time so that you can stay young and healthy. And it's associated with basically accelerated aging uh, in the black boys, but not in the white boys. And, and what that basically tells us is that for the for everyone, executive control is useful. You know, being able to manage yourself um, which is also a, a way of managing yourself through mistakes and things like that, is very beneficial in all sorts of ways. But if in doing so, you feel that you are defying stereotypes and expectations, that added level of stress is actually paradoxically wearing you down. So I think what the caller is referring to is something that is, of course, very, very real. And it really speaks to the role of social environments and social supports and compassion among people um, and empathy uh, in the ways that we're able to engage safely in and learn from our mistakes. And it really is about safety, uh, social safety, emotional safety, and heaven forbid, physical safety in our relationships, in our communities. And we really must strive toward that to be able to I mean, really be able to explore our potentials as people and try things on and make mistakes and learn from them. Not all people are positioned uh, uh, to have the kinds of privileges others are to be able to learn from their mistakes in those ways. So I really thank you for pointing that out. A, a listener writes, I often think that this idea of learning from your mistakes is a privilege that is held by a certain few. For people who have to perform publicly and are scrutinized more closely, sometimes making a mistake might not might affect not just you, but your entire community. As a person of color and a woman, I often feel that I am not afforded the luxury of making mistakes. Thank you for writing that. Let's uh, bring another caller into the conversation. Margot in San Mateo, you're on the air. Hi, can you hear me okay? Yeah, you sound great. Great. Um, yeah, I was calling because when I heard the topic, it was so suited for our family. Um, we have a nine-year-old daughter and a three-and-a-half-year-old daughter. And um, our nine-year-old is really, really into being perfect and has a lot of anxiety about making mistakes. And so over the last couple of years, we actually high-five when we make mistakes in our family. We're like, high-five mistakes because we want to reinforce the idea that, especially for kids, it's okay to make mistakes and it's okay to do a do-over. It's actually been really great because 
then as adults, when we make mistakes, when we make a wrong exit, or the other day I was baking something and I did it completely wrong, they were also more amenable and forgiving in situations where, you know, an adult making a mistake and I'm trying to change their perception, not only for themselves, but for everybody. So I just really appreciated your topic today because it was so, um, so, so topical for our family. I love the high five. I'm totally yeah, going to do that. that with my daughter. That's yeah, fantastic. I love that. You know, and it travels on. Like you just reminded me of, of um, uh, of a situation that just happened with my own child last week, where he's a freshman in college and he wrote his first essay, uh, and he got it back and got you know a, an okay mark on it, and he thought it was really good. And I said, well, take it to the professor. They have office hours. Go get some help. And he he emailed me back later that day or text me rather and said like oh the professor ripped apart my essay he said the beginning should be the end and the end should be the beginning and my topic sentence was backwards and it was great i learned so much <laughs> you know what i mean That's i mean i think that those kinds of dispositions that you're teaching your kids you know by high-fiving mistakes and then going back to examine oh, okay how could i have done it differently and lo- sort of laughing about it and lightening up a little bit uh, you know, that goes on with you into more, you know, bigger, bigger, risky things like college and then on into real life, you know. That is success, mom. Good job. That is, that is, that. <laughs> I hope my daughter someday, someday responds that well. I, I had a horrible time when I'd get bad grades. Oh, I would yeah. just shut me down. Yeah. Julie writes, schools punish all mistakes. Teachers grade how perfect your work is. It's incredibly harmful psychologically to children who learn to fear making mistakes to the point that many people stop trying out of fear of making a mistake. Oh. How would you structure school to account for the normal mistakes of learning new things? I think we have examples in other parts of the world. I, I read specifically about a study about Japan and mathematics and how, you know, in in Japan, apparently there's uh, this study that shows that videotapes show that American teachers focused on the correct procedures yes. for solving, solving problems, yes. whereas that was very different. In, in Japan, uh, you know, they rarely praise their students and they ask them to solve the problems on their own. And then they that led to discussions about yes. common errors and they discussed the errors. And right. as we know, Japanese uh, students are much better at at math, kind of demonstrating that how we can structure our classrooms uh, to really embrace mistakes. Any other thoughts about how the U.S. Yeah, school system you could know, do a better job? A, absolutely. This is a huge topic for me. I do a lot of work in schools around this. I, I think that it. I totally agree with the caller that it is very psychologically harmful. Uh, it really sets up dispositions of mind that do not lead to innovation, to uh, uh, collaboration, to uh, sort of, you know, adapting yourself to new situations, um, the way that we structure schools to be basically about uh, right and wrong answers, correct and incorrect ways to do things, better and worse things, right? And and the way we grade and structure our, our curriculum, I think, actually uh, does not uh, lead to healthy development of, of sort of humble and curious dispositions of mind. So that's something I've written extensively about. But we've also done some studies on what happens in the brain of 8 to 12-year-old children solving math problems when they make mistakes versus correct answers. This work was led by uh, a student who was working with me at the time, Solange de Nervo, who is in Lausanne, Switzerland. Um, and she uh, is a trained and certified uh, Montessori 
Montessori teacher. And in Lausanne, uh, there are Montessori schools, and this is in no way an endorsement of Montessori specifically, but it's a it's a it's a, a type of schooling in Lausanne where um, kids are really expected to kind of collaborate together, to work with specially designed materials, to figure out the math problems, and they explain the answers to one another, and then they work together. And there's really no praise or grades or tests. And what we found is that when Montessori Mary, Hel- Mary kids, Helen, I'm yeah. so sorry. We're about to go to a break. We will okay. pick up right there, though, okay. on what we, what we found, because yes. uh, it's fascinating. We're talking about mistakes with Mary Helen Immerdino-Yang. She's a neuroscientist at USC. And we'll be right back to finish that thought. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. You're listening to Forum. I'm Leslie McClurg. I'm in today for Mina Kim, and we're talking about mistakes. What happens in our brains when we fail, why shame often follows, and why falling down is actually so essential for learning and then success. We're with Mary Helen Immerdino-Yang. She's a human development psychologist and a neuroscientist at USC, and we would love to hear from you. How do you react to mistakes? Can you tell us about a mistake that really maybe led to a big lesson? Have you ever felt proud of making a mistake or looked back on a mistake and thought, I'm really glad that happened? Tell us your story. Email your comments, your questions to forum at kqed.org. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or Discord. We're at KQED Forum. Or you can give us a call right now at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Mary Helen, let's pick up where we left off right before the break. You were telling us about a study involving, you know, kind of the classroom in a Montessori school. Pick it up. Yeah, so this was a a study of 8 to 12-year-old Montessori-schooled students and uh, 8 to 12-year-old traditionally schooled students in Lausanne, Switzerland, which is a very privileged place with very high-quality education. And and what we basically found was that both groups of kids... did equally well on our math game. Uh, They both got the same number correct. Um, But uh, the Montessori-schooled kids got far more wrong because the traditionally-schooled kids skipped things that they weren't sure of. They were less willing to make mistakes. And by the end of the experiment, we could show that the Montessori kids, by getting things wrong that they weren't sure, they learned and got it right the next time, whereas the traditionally schooled kids got the same things wrong over and over again. Um, And what was really interesting was in the brain. So when the Montessori schooled kids made a mistake in the MRI scanner on a math problem, 
while we were scanning their brain, what happened was that that same anterior middle cingulate that we've been talking about all hour, right? That uh, system in the front hub of the brain, right? That says, ah, right? What happened? Something different, right? Would activate and then it would basically sort of connect itself, start talking to regions in the front of the head and the back sides of the head that do math, that plan, that strategize. It's as if the kid said, oh, I got something wrong. Think about that. Let's see what I could figure out from it. And when the Montessori kids got it correct, really, we didn't see much happen in their brain. The opposite pattern was true for the traditionally schooled kids. When the traditionally schooled kids got something correct, we see massive connection between the anterior middle cingulate again and the, the hippocampus, which is basically a region of the brain that's involved in storing long-term memory. It's as if they were thinking, that's correct, memorize that, right? Uh, mm. And when they got something wrong, we, we basically see lots of activity all over the place, a kind of neural freak outfit, but nothing sort of good comes of it, right? They weren't using the mistake in order to learn the next time. And in fact, they were likely to get the same things wrong over and over, unlike the Montessori schooled kids. So, so actually, our brains are being trained how to learn from engage productively with mistakes and right answers by the way, in part by the way in which we're Schooled. And I think this has huge implications for the way we think about what success is and what achievement is and what we're aiming for in school settings. I like this. Sharon writes, I'm a retired teacher of English as a second language. I always encouraged my students to learn from their mistakes. I gave a prize for the best mistake of the week. My <laughs> students thought I was crazy, but they got the point. A good mistake when learning a new language is one you can learn from. And almost all of them are good. Let's go to a caller now. Uh, Karen in Albany, you're on the air. Hi, as a human resources consultant, I always, always ask the interview question, Tell me about a mistake you made at work. How did you find out about it? And uh, what did you learn from it? Because I know that someone is coachable if they can admit a mistake and if they gained from it, gain something from it. And someone is not coachable if they um, blame someone else for their mistake. Some candidates will say, oh, well, I was trained this way, but it was wrong. I should have done it this other way. Um, and so... I always yeah. ask that question mm -hmm. and expect a real, a real mistake. Awesome, Karen. That's good. Good advice for those of us who are, or those folks. Who, I'm not looking, but if there are folks out there who are looking for a job, uh, that's that's great advice. Uh, and it kind of dovetails nicely into this comment from a listener who says, "I worked for 14 years at two universities. The higher somebody was in the hierarchy, the more resistant they would be to negative feedback." Can your guest comment on how to intervene in this tendency? The higher a leader's position, the more likely it is they won't acknowledge and learn from their mistakes. Have you have you found that in your research, Mary Helen? Um, I don't have research on that, but I do think that there is something to that for sure, because uh, the more responsibility we feel we have uh, and the higher the stakes we feel our decisions have, uh, the more likely we are to shy away from making a mistake or trying something. And I think 
uh, it really speaks to the need in organizations for a supportive social culture around uh, empathy, around engaging, around communal and collaborative thinking, trying on ideas with trusted advisors who have various kinds of perspectives when you're making decisions as a leader uh, or as a person who has um, a higher st uh, status than others so, so that your decisions at work will have a lot of implications for other people. I think really trying to um, not make decisions like those in a vacuum, but to be as humble and as uh, sort of intellectually curious as you can be about the ways that uh, those constituents whose, whose uh, lives will be impacted if you make a mistake, think about your decision making and asking them for their input and their reflections with you both makes them more tolerant if there is a mistake and uh, more connected to you. And it informs the way you think so that you're less likely to make uh, really bad mistakes that are going to have bad implications. So I think it really speaks to a workplace culture around uh, uh, around sort of joint accountability, sharing the decision making, and being able to really engage with perspectives and opinions of people who you may disagree with, but really thinking about why they have the opinions they do, and then considering those when you make your decisions so that what someone might think of as a mistake or what may actually be a mistake, at least you have gone into it with open eyes. You've gone into that decision with a much broader way of understanding the implications uh, for many kinds of people than you would have had you tried to be perfect and really tried to hold on to your authoritative uh, sort of space. Well, let's bring another caller into the conversation. Uh, Sean in Sebastopol, you're on the air. Yeah, um, I have uh, been struggling with a, a fear of failure for a good part of my life and been doing some psychotherapy. And a lot of the focus of the work has been looking at shame and and ways of handling shame. I think that shame, has, I, in my environment I grew up in, it was used as sometimes kind of as a tool to discipline. And I never really... Um, learned of a way to, to handle and walk with this feeling, this intense feeling that arises inside me, and to be able to, uh, I, it, it was something I think I've always tried to avoid, done everything to avoid, because I've uh, struggled to find a way to, to dance with this feeling, this sense of, of shame. And uh, Is the therapy I, helping, I Sean? Are you finding that, that the therapy is kind of softening that that? Uh, that feeling? Yeah, I think, you know, I think there's probably a whole attachment thing going on where there's just a, you know, a continuous slow process of kind of finding a, a better sense of, of, of how I'm walking through the world. So just a better sense of self, but then also um, really slowing down. I mean, I, in the Montessori story, I can see uh, you know, we have to go through the process of, of running into this monster and finding a way to dance with it in a in a more peaceful way. Yeah, um, I love it's that. Really I love not that. Yeah. Of, yeah, that image of sort of dancing it with it in a more peaceful yeah. way. That's really quite beautiful. We yeah. ha we have several um, comments that are several questions that are, that are kind of similar. Uh, along the same lines, Chris tweets, I'm an adult who was raised in a house where mistakes were punished, and now, and now I struggle with anxiety and depression. Mm -hmm. What kind of practices or tools do you recommend for me to not pass that behavior onto my kids? 
Mary Helen? Yeah, that's a really, that's a toughie because, um, you know, the ways that we were parented, the way that we feel, the way that we react, whether or not we intend it, our children are noticing and they are sort of imitating us implicitly. They're, they're copying us. They're learning those patterns from us. And so I think there are kinds of, uh, you know, specialized therapies that can help you really become aware of your own patterns so that you can try to work on them within yourself. And I think really being strategic about dismantling those patterns in a way that is in a, in a, in an age appropriate way, sort of open with your kids. You don't need this to be a secret that you carry. They're very resilient. They're able to think with you about it. They're able to recognize those patterns in you. You can almost make them part of your own, uh, healing process together. You're all growing as humans. They're little humans growing into bigger ones. You're a big human who's trying to, you know, transform yourself in the way that you feel and think and the kinds of narratives you tell yourself about particular mistakes you've made or decisions you've made or haven't made uh, because of fear of making a mistake. And I think really exteriorizing those things in an age-appropriate way with kids and, and just really being real with them and dismantling them together is a great way to take power away from those implicit patterns that um, that shape your emotional experience, your mental health, your neural development, the actual development of your brain even. So I think not shying away from it, but actually engaging very sort of thoughtfully and leaving space for unpacking the narratives that you're telling and the patterns that you're engaging of behavior and actually doing that in some ways together with your children can lead to some really great ways of sort of managing yourself in the world in all kinds of situations as they grow and become adults themselves. And I imagine imagine quite bonding. Yeah. A listener on on Discord writes, in the last few years, I noticed that I was making mis I was taking mistakes a lot harder, and ruminating about them would prevent me from sleeping. I, I can relate to that. Oh, yeah. So now, at the end of every week, I have what I call Forgiveness Friday, where <laughs> one mistake I've made that week and that I'm that I'm still torturing myself about, and I just exhale a deep breath and I let that mistake go, and it has been a big help. Oh, that's a that's a great that's great. That's a great practice. Uh, we're talking about mistakes and you're listening to Forum. I'm Leslie McClurg. I'm in today for Mina Kim. And we want to hear from you. How do you react to mistakes? What's the best lesson you've learned from a mistake? Email your comments and questions to forum at kqed.org or you can find us on Twitter, Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. Give us a call, 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Let's go to a caller, uh, Jojo in Mill Valley. You're on the air. Hey, hi. Um, I'm a uh, pro soccer coach. I, I uh, work with the, the kids teaching them soccer. And what I'll do with, uh, especially the little ones, the four, five, six-year-olds, um, as I'm demonstrating and explaining how to do some of the basics, and if I see some stuff that needs correcting, I'll step in and say, okay, it needs to be done this way because I see a few mistakes. And they'll go, mistake? Yeah, I never make a mistake. And <laughs> they realize that, <laughs> that that puts them at ease and they'll go no you just made a mistake made a mistake and i go i didn't i never make a mistake and they they just love it it just puts them at ease and they they can relax and they realize we all make mistakes and it's part of the learning process beautiful thank yeah. you jojo 
Uh, Jessica has an interesting question. What about people who feel no shame from making mistakes or don't learn from their mistakes and do the same thing over and over? My eight-year-old has some neurodivergent stuff going on and just really doesn't learn from their past experiences. What can that tell us about how her brain works based on your intro about the part of the brain that recognizes mistakes? Any thoughts there, Mary Helen? Yeah. Well, I'm not going to speak to your eight-year-old situation because I don't know them. But um, but sure, there's a lot of variation across people in how sensitive we are to other people's assessments of us and as to how uh, much sort of emotional baggage we carry around other people's uh, experiences with us. There's a wide range of variation. And I think what really is important for all children is that uh, not that they're all the same or they all have the same amount of angst around mistakes or not angst around mistakes, but that they manage to you know, sort of develop their own selves, their own brains, their own dispositions of mind in ways that are as adaptive as possible, as flexible as possible in the world in which they live. So I'm thinking that, you know, with a child who isn't inclined toward this, they may not naturally sort of feel the kinds of um, social sort of repercussions that other people can be sensitive to or, or overly sensitive to, as in the case of the caller who, who is just engulfed with shame. Um, and so, you know, just recognizing that there's variation and that sort of narratizing our own experiences, stepping back and helping your child to tell the story of how they understand what happened and then supporting them systematically in also trying to appreciate someone else's perspective on that story, how it could look to somebody else um, and having them try to kind of embody that perspective a little bit so that they can at least start to recognize that there are other ways to see their behavior and the ways that their mistakes may be impacting other people and the way that they may be impacting their own self because they're going on to repeat them potentially as compared to learning from them. So so look for teachable moments with that child and then try to build a safe space that's you know, without other distractions where you can really kind of dismantle those moments into pieces that the child can understand and help them start to play it out in different ways and become flexible with thinking about the implications of their behavior for themselves and for, for other people. You can even do things like silly little role plays and things like that if your child's inclined to it, um, you know, where you both are laughing and giggling and, and you know, pretending to be one another. Things like that can be very uh, insight generating for children sometimes. Well, Barbara writes, in my career, I made two mistakes that had real consequences. One caused me to miss a promotion, and the second caused me to be fired from a job I should not have taken. Both of these made me seriously rethink my career and interpersonal relations. With some professional help, they each resulted in significant personal growth and, turn, and turning points in my life. That's a great story right there. Fabulous. Is there anything that you really want? Our, well, the things that I'm hearing in this hour over and over is slow down, relax, laugh you know, talk to your kid, make it okay. Are there any sort of final lessons that you want people to take away from this conversation and sort of approach, you know, in five minutes, they're gonna go out <laughs> in the world. How, how, how do you want people to relate to mistakes after listening to this hour? You know, I think mistakes, like all forms of learning, are basically, you know, what we make of them. And we have to recognize that we have the power to, to tell the story 
that is going to be the implication of what happened, right? We have the power to shape that narrative, not to control other people or whether we lose the job or not, but what that experience then comes to mean for us and for what we learn from it. So I would just really encourage uh, encourage folks, and I'm half talking to myself here too, that when you make a mistake, to be brave about actually exteriorizing and talking about that, laughing about that, and really trying to look for the place that leads to learning. Beautiful. Thank you so much for joining us. That's Mary Helen Imordino Yang. She's a human development psychologist and neuroscientist at USC. We've been talking about mistakes. Thank you all so much for listening. This Hour of Forum has been produced by Caroline Smith and Mark Nieto. Marlena Jackson-Rotondo is our engagement producer, and Francesca Frenzy Fenzi is our digital community producer. Susie Britton is our lead producer. Our engineers are Danny Bringer, Christopher Beal, and Catherine Monahan. Our interns are Jer- Jericho Reininger and Emikio Oda. Thank you. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.